This podcast with Mark Gaffney was after seven days of sitting Shiva, honoring the life and honoring the legacy of my father, and also the ceremony that commemorated his passing. And we were tired, we were exhausted, but looking back on those eight days, they were some of the best days of my life. And I felt my father with me then, and I feel my father with me now. And so what could have been a tragedy was an opportunity for transformation and the ability to hold my father close as an ally in the unseen, non-physical realms. And subsequently, since that passing, he's come to me in my dream time, and I feel his presence more strongly ever in those worlds than I have in my whole life. And of course, I miss him, and I love him, and I wish I could give him a hug in the flesh and talk to him about all the wild ideas I have. But in some way, I know that his mind and his spirit is with me now always. And this podcast tells the story of everything that transpired, all of the miracles that we experienced, and hopefully gives a roadmap for you to see if this story works for you and how you might want to honor those that pass and whether they've already passed or whether it's just an idea of a new way, an evolutionary way to take the old lineage traditions and evolve them with the medicine traditions and everything that I've incorporated into my own life. So I hope this series, Blessings of the Father Part 1, and this podcast, Blessings of the Father Part 2, can offer a map and also a vulnerable look inside the experience that I had in really honoring the life and death of my father, Michael Phillips Marcus. Enjoy the podcast. Mark, my brother. Cha. God, what a week. What a week. Oh my God, we're a bit exhausted, huh? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we sat seven days of Shiva House. Seven days of... Blended in the Shabbat table technology, our shamanic technology. We had... We journeyed. We journeyed together. We blew it away in the ceremony. I mean, I, I've never felt a response from anything I've done and then other than what we did in that ceremony that's been more powerful from yeah. just the uh, people receiving it and it's just a beautiful reflection of a, a a legendary man who got to get sent off in a legendary way and um so here we are for part two of uh of the blessings of the, of the father. father and and you know one of the things that we talked about in the ceremony was of course one of the blessings of the father was that we got to actually go through this process. Yeah. I mean, one of the huge blessings was that we got to actually evolve and weave the threads of all of our mastery together to create something that's never been done before, really. I mean, first off, just love you, Matt. I mean, just what a week. It's almost like when you go through this with someone and you think you know each other, yeah, and you think like you couldn't be closer and you realize that it's just this great realization that love is actually infinite, right? And that love, when love is real, like Aubrey and Vailana, if, you, if I really love Vailana, it's actually three years from now, I'm going to love her like crazy more and I'm going to look mm. back at three years ago. Yeah, It's how you know intimacy is infinite. You can, you can always go deeper. So we went deeper this week, right? And 
and maybe before we dive in, just also just blessings to brotherhood in the world. Yeah. Right. Brothers gets, we need, we need more brothers in the world. Yeah. And all, and all my brothers showed up and all, all my sisters showed up. Showed up. All the sisters showed up. Every different, you know, we, uh, for those of you who follow me, you know, that I commemorate these brothers and sisters with the bead exchange on my necklace and every bead on the necklace showed up and many yeah. more that are, you know, that are, we're still forming and crystallizing the depth of that connection. Everybody showed up and, Everybody and just showed up. mad gratitude for yeah. everyone who supported <laughs> me through this process mad. and supported my dad through this process. Yeah. And I was actually reading last night at like 2 a.m. I was reading that chapter on your dad from the book on traders. Market Wizards by Jack Schwager. Marco, and you had mentioned the book to me and just integrity between brothers. I just, maybe 2 a.m. I looked at the chapter and that's a, a different conversation. So let's, let's go for the blessing of the father. Yeah. And you know, everyone, whoever's, wherever they are in the world, there's this moment, there's this window of time when the doors are open. Now you can always open the doors, but there's also moments in time where there's a particular invitation. In, in Hebrew, the word for time is invitation, zman, Z-E-M-A-N, time means invitation. And so there's a door open now. And we were talking before, there's a lot we could talk about this week, but actually we all have fathers and there's the great father in culture. And we're, we're really committed this week. And Michael's energy is cause. And because his energy is cause, it actually allows him to rise. Mm -hmm. So the son goes to find the father in these dialogues by creating energy that he's cause of that allows the father to rise. And that is also just for, for me, for you, for anyone. When, when I lose a parent, the way to liberate the parent is to allow them to be cause in your life. Mm. So mystically, when I die, I become impotent, at least relative to this world. I can't play anymore. I can't make any more trades. I can make trades in the next part of the journey. No more trades here, right? No more, no more futures. But, but the, the son can liberate the father mm -hmm. because you, we, you created, we created this week in which Michael was so fucking alive yeah. and cause that the son liberates the father. So we're in, we're in that. That's, this is, this is the, the gate's still open. Mm -hmm. Next time we podcast, we'll be about something else. Yeah. But the gate's fucking open now. And yeah. And, and, you know, Thursday on four, six, we're going to be actually putting my father into the ground. So right. we've done the seven days of Shiva house. We did the eighth day, the liberation, the celebration, right. the commemoration brought everybody together and, and, and gave it our full hearts and our full tears and, and all of it. And, and then now we're in another mini Bardo as we yeah. kind of integrate all of the unbelievable miracles of this week and yeah. all of the great blessings of the father and blessings of the sisters and brothers and blessings universally. And then this little Bardo where we'll finally, you know, close this chapter, but also leave open all of the threads that the blessings have opened. All the threads, the blessings have opened. And for those people who track these things closely, we're not doing just the old lineage and the old lineage, you first do the burial and then you do the seven days. So for those people listening, so oh, they're doing in the wrong order. What we're actually doing is we're taking pieces from different technologies and we're weaving together a vision of, of world religion. So we did ceremony and we did Shabbat psychotech kinetics and we did Shiva and, and, and it's all coming together. Mm -hmm. So let's put a frame on the table. Let's, that can kind yeah. of be a frame for us. So, right. 
pretty tragic, tragic, and post-tragic. Mm-hmm. And it's, for me, it's helped me through life. It's, you know, one of those frames that she, she whispered, you know, at some point a decade ago. And so let me unpack it. And then let's see how this plays in, in your story this week. And I'm going to weave things that I heard. And I've sat in seven Shiva house tables with people gathered around and raising glasses and crying and laughing. And, and each night it was a different vision of Michael. Yeah, it was. That was, that was also really remarkable. Completely different. See how the spirit of my dad was evoked and a different version of him. It's like the multifaceted prism of his unique right. self. Every, through every different angle that you looked at, right. it, through everybody else's prism, he actually appeared differently. You know? and, and, and it was a great a lesson from that. Different person appeared. And that's what it means. It's what we do for each other. And it's, there's a part of Mark that appears only when he's talking to Aubrey. Mm-hmm. A part of Aubrey that appears only when he's talking to Mark. There's a part of Vailana that appears only when she's talking to Aubrey and another part that appears when she's having a conversation with Caitlin. Mm-hmm. So what love does is love evokes a dimension of the person that can't appear in any other way. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. That's a wild thing. And when you, the lineage has this insanely beautiful realization, it's not an idea, it's a knowing that we do the same thing for God. And I know we're, we're, we're making a product because we got to do, we got to, got a podcast with God. So we got to, got to do a full, just let's talk about God. But for now, let's just say God, the infinite, right? God source, right? God, Mat, Geist, implicate order, Atman is Brahman, Adonaihu Elohim, right? The great sky, whatever that means. But that, mm-hmm. that, that thing that's larger than us, that holds us, that's in us and that makes it all meaningful. Amen. Right? God, God, us. Amen. So. Mm. Just feel into this for a second. Mm. Chop. Now hold for a second, guys. I apologize. I've actually lost the thread. Pre-tragic, tragic post No, but it was a good well, God. Where were we on God? Well, cut this. Where there was a particular key God thing we're going to do is God. Uh. So so the lineage has this realization that we do that for God. In other words, Aubrey evokes a dimension of God. What does that even mean? That no one else can evoke. So so God experiences a kind of shocking self-recognition in her, his conversation with Aubrey that he, she can't experience talking to Christian or talking to Mark Mm -hmm. or talking to Aaron. It's a meaning, and it's in that sense, we need our beloveds. We need our beloveds. We don't only love them. We love them. We see them. We bracket ourselves to be in devotion to them. And they give us ourselves back. See, when you have a real lover, your lover gifts you with yourself because mm. something of you shows up in a way that, that no one else can evoke it. Yep. And so every one of those Shivanites, each group of people, evoked your dad in a different way. And it was like seven different Michaels appeared Yeah, every night. Yeah. Okay. So gathering from the Shiva house, we got these three images and we're going to, with your permission, brother, we're going to use your life as our sacred text, mm-hmm. right? In mm-hmm. other words, because right? all of this 
That's our, our mantra for this week. All of this is just words mm-hmm. until we learn it in the stories of our lives. So Aubrey's life as sacred autobiography, but also love as a chapter in the sacred autobiography of God. That's, that's what it means to be a unique self, that my life is a chapter in the sacred autobiography of God. It's a very precise idea. So Aubrey, we heard during the week about Dad asks Aubrey, what do you want your room to look like? And Aubrey says, a cave. (laughs) That's a story that ran through the week, right? And Mm -hmm. dad gets the best fucking cave people in America to go make a cave. Yeah. Special effects cave people. (laughs) I'm like spelunkers. Not right, right. Real, real (laughs) cave people, right? Like real cave people, right? So, so this is the preach. This is the, the dad larger than life. This is the Aubrey dad. This is the pre-tragic stage. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Pre-tragic is good. It's a gorgeous stage. Yeah, anything, anything was possible in, in dad's magical kingdom. Anything was possible, right? Right? And then you ran into the tragic, brother. I mean, and you so ran into the tragic that you and I talked for 18 months straight without this ever coming up, meaning it had gotten put away. And we talked about everything. Mm-hmm. And we only talked about your dad like three weeks ago, mm-hmm. right? So dad ran into the dark night of the soul that ripped his heart apart. And he just went through a, you know, just listening to your description, we went to the house and went through a a decade plus of just being alone in, in a tormented and painful and place that, that he couldn't access anyone and no one could access him. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't even say it ripped his heart apart. It, it just actually, I don't think the heart can be ripped apart, you know, from my conception of it, but it denied him access to it. His prism got so dense and obscured by the fog of distortion and delusion and the voices that came in his yeah. head that actually the light couldn't shine through up from his heart or down from the true, the true clear light, panim al panim, face to face with the truth, source, yeah. love, God, great spirit. Right. You know, and, and he, he just, he got lost in the dark forest. And then you, you feel like your heart ripped apart. And yeah. It, it's always the one heart. And you heart. could be convinced. That's <laughs> yeah. right. It's, it's always the one heart. It's always the one love. But we feel like I remember in 2006, like my heart felt ripped apart. Right. right? Even though I knew it wasn't. Right. So he. Yeah. He, heart, he, heartbreak is that paradox of you yeah. feel it but it's not true. That's right. And, and I, you actually feel it. You yeah. realize, oh, that's why that word is there. Yeah. Like my heart's heavy. Like your heart's actually heavy. So he's in the tragic. And then your relationship with him is in the tragic because mm-hmm. you can't find your hero. You can't find dad. And it could be over there, but then something happens. And what happens is death. And death opens a door. Death actually pressed us into life. And as dad stepped into the next world, out of the tragic, the tragic falls away. The mist, the distortion of the tragic falls away. And then Aubrey can find dad again. Mm-hmm. And for seven days, Bailana meets dad, right? For the first time, she didn't really, yeah. right? And, and dad's awake and there's, there's joy and there's stories and there's and we choose which stories to tell. And recovered memories. And recovered memories. I mean, there is whole chapters of things that it seems impossible that I would have forgotten. 
And I didn't forget because as soon as the spark was there, it illuminated a whole pathway, a whole, whole neural you know, encoding of files that were just zipped right. in my brain. And I was like, holy shit, holy. that Grand Prix racing game where you had an open challenge to any competitor to come and race him on the, in the old arcade game in Monaco that he had in his, his office and things that I was like, oh my God, how did I forget that? You know, so, so it was so beautiful to like bring him alive in, in the fullness of my own memory and also to, to feel him and, and actually connect with him through the shamanic journey technology that we have as well, connect with him and, and see, hear his laughter and cry with him the tears and, and feel him yeah. as well. It was, it was really, really beautiful. And there's the post-tragic. Yeah. So that, that's the post-tragic. So the post-tragic includes but transcends the deepest pre-tragic. We went to all the pre-tragic gorgeous memories, but it doesn't bypass the heartbreak, the distortion, the illusion, the pain of the tragic, but it doesn't get stuck there. There's a moment where we, we grieve, and then when we grieve, we cast out the remorse that deadens us. So there's this, this poem that I always love by Yeats that kind of captures this. I want to just gift you with it. It's like, because this was you this week, right? We're grieving, we're sad, but in that sadness, we feel those feelings to completion and then joy steps in when such as I cast out remorse. So great a sweetness fills my breast. Mm. We can dance and we can sing. We're blessed by everything mm -hmm. and everything we look upon is blessed. Mm. Post-tragic. Yeah. That's right. seeing, it's the, the capital K kingdom. It's the more beautiful world. It's, right. it's a whole perspective shift. It's the regular world, but at a different octave. I can see with God's eyes. Yeah. And to be a lover is to see with God's eyes. And you could see the, your love of your dad. It never disappeared, ever. But it came back online in this new way. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it was always there. It was always, right, never you know, there's always letters and emails. And I would send a photo and try and reach him, try and reach him and penetrate that dark forest and, 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 and always holding on to hope that maybe he would find his way just to a clearing, a clearing right. where he would just respond even a little bit so that we could rekindle something, have just some little bit of wood that's right. like, ah, if there's a little bit of wood there we can make a little bit of a spark. And if we right. can make a little bit of a spark, maybe we can illuminate the darkness of this forest. And it just, it, it never came. But here's the thing, right? And let me offer this to you, brother. Had you not done all those things that never came, you wouldn't have been able to do this week. Yeah. Because you would have been too far away. You wouldn't have been able to cross the chasm. But all the things that you did, all the seeds you planted that looked like they didn't bear fruit, actually opened the door for this week. Yeah. And so... In this world religion as a context for our diversity, which is the great father that we're together with, with our, our, our whole group of friends and beloveds trying to bring into the world, we're offering a frame. This is a big one, friends. This is fucking huge, pre-tragic, tragic, and post-tragic. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's just spend a few, just five minutes. Let's just stay in this yeah. for a second. So let me throw out just one or two examples and we'll just play with them because I don't think there's a person listening in the world, not a, not a part of me that's listening, not a part of you that's listening that doesn't. We, we need the technology of the post-tragic. And if you asked me, if you would push me to the wall, I didn't say, okay, Mark, as, as I've invited you into my medicine world, 
Mark, what do you think about my medicine world? Right? I'd say medicine together with Dharma, but medicine is very important, opens you to the post-tragic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't answer the tragic. It doesn't take you back. Wrong use of medicine is an attempt to get back to the pre-tragic. Yeah. So that's what crack, misused cocaine, right? You know, misused cannabis. Misused anything. Right, right. I go, let's, 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 let's take medicine, turn it into a drug or an opioid that takes you back to the pre-tragic. So I can't handle the tragic. So I'm going to access this journey to take me back to the pre-tragic. That's exactly not medicine. No, it's regressive. And that why, and medicine takes you, what a gorgeous distinction, from the tragic to the post-tragic. So the difference between medicine and regressive drugs, regressive drugs takes you to pre-tragic, medicine takes you to post-tragic. It's beautiful. Right? I'm mean, just like, <gasps> right? It's so beautiful. that's beautiful, right? It's like, and, 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 and one of the exciting things about this moment is we're doing this for real life. So this is something just coming up between us right now. We've never thought about this distinction right. before. It just, it just landed for us yeah, right now. Yeah, I mean, I want to go take a note in my, in my right. phone right now so I can make sure that I include that right. in my next book that I'm right. writing about psychonautics. Right. It's so true. It's such a gorgeous distinction. Yeah. It just came down for us right now. Right? It's like, wow. Right? So thank you, she. Right? Mm-hmm. It's exciting. It's exciting, right? It's and she being another name. For, she, the, for the great divine. She being another name, right? And as you know, that's the name I use all the time. That's the name that, you know, that she. Shekinah. Yeah, yeah, Shekhinah. And God, God, I'm so looking forward to talk about God, goddess with you. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, but, but let's stay here. Okay? Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> okay, so, so let's, let's play this for a second. So let's take, this is a realm I understand that, that you don't know much about, but um, I'll try and talk <laughs> about a little bit, sexuality. No, 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 I guess you probably, okay, sorry. Okay, sorry, I apologize, I'm sorry. Um, I have a lot to, I have a lot more to learn. Oh my God, don't me we all. Alana need to don't continue we all, practicing. Right? Teach me brother, yes. teach me sister, teach me goddess. Okay, so let's take sex for a second, sexuality. So pre-tragic sexing, and it's very subtle to get the pre-tragic. There's two kinds of pre-tragic sexing. One is everything goes, do what you'd like. Meaning it's all fine, it's all good right? There are no rules. You know, it's just totally good all the time. Meaning there's no complexity. You're not dealing with the, the hurt. You're not dealing with the ecstasy. You're not, it just becomes a, a purely biological act. Let's have lunch. Let's have sex. It's pre-tragic. Do you think that anybody actually gets to live that pre-tragic? It feels like almost- No one that's ever deni- lives that. That's it's denied an illusion. Us. It's an Yeah. It's an illusion. It's a, it's, a, it's a time in the past that right. we could imagine, or maybe some cultures that still have no, maintained that, yeah, it, but I mean, sex, very sex complicated. Sex Before Dawn tried to kind of, that book tried yeah. to elucidate it, but even there, it was very, very sex complex. Sex at Dawn by Chris Ryan. Is what right, by Chris Ryan, right, yeah. right, right, right. Sex at Dawn, right? Uh, who knows what was going on before Dawn, right? I was in the middle <laughs> of the night. That's, the hot stuff was before Dawn. There was some Gamora happening. There was some Gamora happening, right? <laughs> so, so, but so one image of pre-tragic sex is, it's all good, right? But it, it's a pre it's we never get there, but there's this thing. Wow. Can you imagine? I remember watching with KK with my partner late night. We couldn't sleep and she flips on her computer. And there's some movie about a guy who, you know, a woman's invited him to kind of no strings attached sex. And he says, there's no such thing. What do you mean? And he's crossing the country to get there for this, you know, for this, you know, this. So, so that's pre-tragic, but there's another kind of pre-tragic. So pre-tragic means everything's clear. There's no complexity. The other kind of pre-tragic sex is the religions that say that sex is negative. It's also pre-tragic. It's also clear. Mm. It's clear it's bad. It's clear it's good. 
when, when you think you have total clarity, you're in pre-tragic. Pre-tragic is, it's all clear. There are no questions. We understand the whole map. Either it's all bad or it's all good, but it's pre-tragic. You're mm-hmm. not in the tragic because you know exactly what to do or what not to do. Mm-hmm. Pre-tragic. Tragic is, oh my God, we have no sexual narrative. We don't know how to understand our own desire, right? We're dealing with, you know, on the one hand, me too. On the other hand, you know, split off desire. On the other hand, we're dealing with abuse. On the other hand, we're dealing with, you know, monogamy is breaking down all over the country because they can't sustain desire. And it's, we're, we're dealing with a broken sexuality all over the world. We're dealing yeah. with cultures where people are having less and less sex because we can't actually understand why we're right. So this enormous complexity in which the narrative of desire breaks down. We don't have a, a story of desire equal to our experience. And there's utter rampant, tragic confusion around sexing. No story that equals our sexuality, tragic. And so we're in that place now in culture, tragic. Mm-hmm. Post-tragic would mean, let's tell a new story about sexuality. Yeah. Let's reimagine it. While learning all of the lessons from the tragic, all of the very true points right. that all the Me Too movements, all of these other things Important. are illuminating and shining a flashlight on some dark and vicious corners of what is possible out there. And so it's like, let's, all right, let's be aware of this and let's make the intentional choice as an act of will to move, into to the, incorporate and include all of that and transcend. Into the post-tragic. To the post-tragic. And, and a big part of what you and I are doing and one part of our lives is, is doing this phenomenology of Eros, mm-hmm. you know, with the center, with Christina, which is this, you know, 12 volumes that retells the story of sexing. And that's a whole other conversation. But that means we're going to the post-tragic work. So that's pre-tragic, tragic, post-tragic. I'm going to give us one more example, just so we can feel and people can take it into their lives. Suffering. So pre-tragic is you haven't suffered. Or you've suffered, but your priest or rabbi or shaman or psychologist is telling you exactly why. Meaning there's, there's clarity. Mm. You think you got it all worked out. You suffered because you sinned. You suffered because you attracted it into your life right? New age version of the classical religious position. In other words, there's complete clarity. You suffer, either you haven't suffered as pre-tragic or you suffer and you don't have any question about it because you've got all the answers, whether it's fundamentalist new age or fundamentalist religion. Or would you, would you say that also like pain in a way is, is always pre-tragic? It's just pain. It's just a, it's just a kind of a stimulus, a sensation. Suffering is our response to pain, which always actually in the word itself. And this is like kind of being a little, yeah, little granular, but suffering, you know, Shinzen Young, uh, you know, a kind of Zen practitioner I had on the podcast and he distinguished between pain and suffering as pain being the, the sensation and suffering being our response and resistance to that pain which inherently somehow contains a little bit of the tragic with it because there's some way in which we don't yeah. understand it. We're resisting it in a way. It, it, that's, a, I, that's beautiful. So another form of, so one form of pre-tragic is I haven't suffered. Mm-hmm. Another form of pre-tragic is I've suffered, but, but actually I know why. I mm-hmm. think I know why in quotation marks, some theology, new age or classical religious explains to me why. So I, I have clarity or... I'm literally not even at the experience of suffering. I'm just pain. It's animal pain. Mm. And it's just, it's just there. It's pre-tragic. It hasn't moved through the depth of my consciousness and been articulated, right, as existential suffering. So three right. forms of pre-tragic. Tragic, 
oh my God, now I realize I'm suffering. I'm moved from, in your image, from pain to suffering. I realize that the fundamentalist explanation of my suffering doesn't hold. No, God doesn't kill people who don't accept Christ in a particular way or Jews who don't do it that or Tibetan Buddhists who leave the lineage. No, not the way it works. All the explanations don't work. No, I didn't lose something precious to me because I attracted it into my life, you know, as they told me in my New Age seminar. Yeah. Actually, there's great mystery of suffering. Yeah. Why? And Fucking why? why? Fucking why? And I'm, I'm willing to stay in the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any easy answer. And I, I'm living in the tragic. Right? That's the tragic. Post-tragic and suffering is not that I provide an answer. But post-tragic is this other very subtle, unimaginably beautiful realization where I realize I'm never going to remove the mystery. The mystery is always going to be there. But I know that the universe is a love story. I know we live in an intimate universe because if we didn't live in an intimate universe, there's no reason I would be upset by suffering. Mm -hmm. If the world wasn't fair, why am I upset that it's not fair? And it's the reason I feel the horror of suffering is because it is a love story. And anything that violates the love story, I know isn't as it should be. So I can't answer suffering. There's no answer. But I can reclaim the goodness of Eros. I can begin to celebrate again, right? People in my family who went through the Holocaust and then came to the United States they didn't explain the Holocaust, but they re-embraced life. Mm. They said, you know what? The world is good and it is true and it is beautiful. And there's this mystery of suffering and we refuse to give any pre-tragic explanation to it, but we're, gonna, we're not gonna forget, but we're, gonna, we're not gonna live in remorse. We're gonna cast out remorse and we're gonna marry again and we're gonna love again. Mm. We're gonna have children and we're gonna write and we're gonna create. So the re-embracing of life and the realization that the great uncertainty doesn't undo the certainty of life's goodness. And I begin to live the dream again while I hold the mystery, post-tragic. The greatest movement of enlightenment is the ability to move from tragic to post-tragic. And so that's in some sense, love, what you've done this week with your dad. Yeah, You've moved from tragic into post-tragic. And I've actually, as a lot of us did, watched it happen all through the week. Yeah, it was I, in real time. I mean, I, I mean, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move deep into like the mystical and the, the Atlantis in this world in a minute. But I remember we landed, you got the call, you came downstairs, your face was stricken with pain. You could, you could right? Yeah. Right, stricken with pain. And you cried all through the week. And, and every time you cried, you cried for all the times you never cried before. Yeah. And, and you opened up gates crying because all the gates are closed. The gates of tears are never closed. And you literally modeled this movement from tragic to post-tragic. So, wow, deep bow, brother. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was uh, this beautiful braid of grief and celebration and laughter that if I just rode that rainbow bridge, you know, and continued to ride my grief and laughter and pain and sorrow and joy and memory, if I just continued to ride the bridge, it was going to take me all the way through the different levels. 
is gorgeous. And, and anyone who has unfinished business and who doesn't have unfinished business, I do. Anyone, had, anyone can do this journey. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it's not that you, it's not that you answer the tragic. That's where we get lost. It's like a medicine journey. There's a gate that if you go in that gate, you're lost. There's another gate where you, oh, post-tragic. Yeah. And having that story and, and being able to choose that story. Right. Was also another thing that emerged. It was like, we have available to us, you know, if we consider ourselves a multidimensional being, you reference Atman as Brahman in your right. very brief, you know, right. terse description of the God. infinite and the many names of God, right? Which means that the God within mirrors the God without, you know, the full God. And so when you really like, when you really understand and feel all of those different threads and can actually get it in your body and, and feel that the feel the principle of correspondence as the, as the hermeticists say, you know, there's so much more that starts to just become available to you in choosing the story that you want. Because if you're in that multidimensional space, then there's stories at every different perspective. First of all, there's lateral stories you could tell, which is two perspectives of the same thing. Plenty of studies of multiple eyewitnesses all right. seeing different things. It's the idea that no two people say, see the same movie because they're all seeing through their right. own prism of consciousness. And, and the DNA actually communicates. There's a book by James Shapiro. The DNA communicates in the human being multiple story strands at the same time. Yeah. And so the, the ability to choose your story and have some right. solid stories that make sense, like pre-tragic, tragic, post-tragic, and apply that, it helps you actually purify and clarify your story. And so much of the week was about that. It was about choosing a story that actually wove through all of the multidimensionality of who we are, not bypassing, including all of the other stories, but saying, this is the story that I'm going to ride. And this right. is the story of it's all fucked up and it's all perfect. And it's a story that says, we can hold paradox. And right. so I'm able to do this and it's not bypassing because I'm feeling all of the feelings, but this is the story that we're going to weave through. And, and that was really beautiful. It's gorgeous, right? And it's, it's everything. And you, you just actually stunningly recapitulated so much of the week, right? In other words, we try and resolve the contradiction. And what we've been saying all week is Aristotle's law of the excluded middle says work out the contradiction. We're doing deeper wisdom, we're doing the wisdom of paradox. And we're saying that the Garden of Eden is not paradise, it's paradox. And you can, post-tragic is about paradox. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? So the tragic is you're lost in the contradiction. You try and get out of the contradiction by going back to the pre-tragic. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work. And so you don't know where to go, so you just, you just basically turn off your joy. And so many people, you just look and the glint is not in their eye. Right, and the gate's not in their step. And you can't feel because the, somehow the contradiction deadened them. And they were right to catch the contradiction and their own integrity, their goodness, not their, I, I can't resolve the contradiction. I can't, no, but you can go to paradox. Mm. Paradox is post-tragic. And as you said, as we said, oh, we don't bypass, but we're actually trembling before she and an amazing joy. Mm. And so I guess the, the gift that we want to offer to each other right now and to anyone is there's a road to the post-tragic. Yeah. And the post-tragic doesn't require any giving up in, of integrity. It's actually the highest integrity. 
I don't give up my true uncertainty. I dance in the uncertainty, but I reclaim the utter fucking certainty of the unimaginable goodness of life. Cha. Okay. So I want to, I want to see if we can, we're going to, we're in the blessing of the father this week. So yep. let's, let's go kind of wide and personal at the same time. Yep. So I want to, I want to offer you something and tell me how it resonates, you know, in terms of an ancient kind of mystery Atlantis kind of text about your dad, who, when we went into the house, you saw that he was deep into all sorts of very serious explorations. We saw books on prayer and books on different esoteric spiritual paths. And he clearly was, and there's lots of information that you have on this for 20 years that we talked about. He was clearly trying to, in the language of the lineage, he was trying to enter the garden. Mm -hmm. It's called the pardes, at the pardes, the, the great orchard, the garden. And there's an old text. It's one of my most beloved texts. And, you know, I laugh and cry whenever I read it. It's in Tractate Chagiga 16a, that particular tome in the third century, fourth century Aramaic texts. And it says, four entered the orchard. Four, four, the four masters. One went insane. A second died young. Right? A third betrayed his faith. And the fourth, Akiva, entered in peace and left in peace. And it's like a journey. And I remember sitting with um, my dear friend of the last few years of his life, Richard Alpert Ramdas, and I was with him in his room and a bunch of years back before he passed in 2005. And he said to me, he said, so many of my friends knew how to get in, but they couldn't get out. Mm -hmm. And so I shared this text with them. Your father was in the orchard. He wasn't, he had, he had found his way in. I mean, he had enormous heart and depth and penetration. And I, I offer this with such tenderness. So it's not that he was lost exactly. He wasn't in delusion. He had actually found his way into the garden. But in the garden, it seems like so tenderly he couldn't find his way out. Mm -hmm. Does that, how does that feel with you? And you just, and throw it out, delete it. But let's just, it's, I'm offering it as a, as a way to begin to, to feel into this and to liberate the father. Yeah. You know, certainly my father had found his way in. And I think what is coming through me now is that he found his way in and then he knew that there was a place, there was a place that he was looking for that was real. Yeah. There was a place that he was looking for that was real. And, but the place that he was looking for that was real wasn't good enough. So he actually said, in some ways he discarded actually the real garden and went deeper looking for an illusory garden a garden in his mind that would give him access to the type of information and experience that an unintegrated part of him wanted, right? So he was, he was in the garden and he could make his way out of that garden, but that garden wasn't quite good enough. 
And in some ways, so, you know, is just as he, you know, he wasn't quite good enough for himself. The garden wasn't quite good enough for him either. And both were actually inextricable. You know, there was a not quite good enough quality to it. So he was going in and says, no, I want, I want a better garden. I want a garden where I have access to even more information yeah. and access to even more. And so he went, he actually went past the garden. This is what I feel. Yeah. He went past the garden into the dark forest, which is no longer the garden anymore. It's almost like it goes all the way around to the upside down garden. So this is deep. This is deep love. This is deep brethren. This is really a conversation between two mystics, but how we describe, right? We're now trying to give language yeah. to, and we're trying to trace Michael with honor, yeah. right? To liberate him from loneliness. So I'm going to, I'm going to share with you just, and I think we're saying something very, very similar. We're using a different way of, so when you go into the garden, you go into the garden, you've actually found your way in. There's a way in which when you want more, right, you can't receive the blessing of what you've received and let it bring you back into the world. Mm. So then the garden itself draws you deeper and deeper in and you can't find your way back. You know, and in Zen Buddhism, the 10th ox herding picture is when the master turns and goes back to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So there's a place in which the garden keeps drawing you in and the garden becomes the dark forest, mm -hmm. which is what you're describing, right? So we're describing the same thing in a slightly different phenomenology, which is how right. you get, by the way, different mysticisms, but it's the right. same. Right. We're describing the same phenomenology. It, it became somehow the dark forest. And you could see by the writings he left in the house that he was convinced it was the garden. Correct. Right, now that he was, but, but it wasn't, but, but it was, it was lost. That's what we mean by kind of lost in the garden. And Akiva, who's in the lineage of Solomon, he's holding the lineage of Akiva, he nichnas b'shalom. He enters in peace, v'yatsah b'shalom. He actually is able to leave the garden and take everything with him back to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. It's like, cha. So let's see if we can just, for the sake of, of liberating the father and for the sake of offering a path if we can make this distinction, which is really, really important, it's not enough to hear voices. And as I can yeah. hear voices, and the voices are real, and my therapist will tell me the voices aren't real, but I know my therapist is wrong. I know the voices are real, and I'm right. The voices are real, but the voices being real is insufficient. Right? It's not enough that the voices are real. I can have, it's why in the lineage, there's a prophet and a beautiful but false prophet. And sometimes within one person, there's a real prophet and a false prophet in the same person. Mm -hmm. And false prophet means not bad person, means I hear voices, but there's a hermeneutic prism. Love that word. Love that word, right? Hermes, God of interpretation. So I have an experience, have an experience, but I think that that experience yields this conclusion but I don't realize that I'm actually interpreting the experience. So my experience is real. Therapy tells me it's not real. You know, modern materialist society tells me it's not real, but I know it's fucking real and I'm right. What I don't realize is that actually there's a hermeneutic prism of interpretation that's happening inside of me that's reading the experience in a particular way. 
And this is, and I want to pass this to you, brother. This is where psychics and mediums and different masters of the occult that are actually holding true gifts, that are having real experiences, but actually can also do great damage because they think that they're actually transmitting the reading or the message, and they're unaware of the fact that there's a prism of interpretation that goes through their ego yeah. and their complexity and their own dark forest. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The, uh, and I've, and I, you know, we've, this discussion has come up and this is my general aversion to psychics and mediums with certain exceptions where someone has passed through the crucible where I actually trust their prism. Right. And Paul Selig being one of the many time podcast guests, I actually trust that not only is the signal true, but actually his prism is clear. And so the words that he speaks, you know, they really, they reverberate through my whole body like I was a drum that was tightly right. wound or a flute right. that was made by a master craftsman so that the reverberation through the reed is just perfect. And I feel it, you know, I feel it in my body. And other times there's been psychics who've been incredibly accurate, but actually their prism of interpretation has left little, little minds, little broken glass shards right. that, you know, I'm going to step on along my way because they've implanted certain <laughs> beliefs and certain ways that they've interpreted things. That get, that get embedded in my leg, that piece right. of glass right. that and gets that, infected. Yes. And so, so that's, you know, as a general, that's a, a, huge caveat and one of the reasons why hugely typically important. I'll almost never only I take it with a very kind of explorer's skeptic mind where I almost intentionally don't let anything in. And you're very practice love. It's very hard for a person to right. do that. So when people ask me or ask you and people say to me, okay, I was at the psychic, I was at this medium. I say, wait, wait, right? In other words, yes, they may be a beautiful person. Let's even give them that. They may be hearing real voices, but there's a prism of interpretation that's not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's really important to realize in our cultural, our cultural, our, our culture today, right? The mediums are getting mad. They're like, oh, I can't lose the round. <laughs> right? yeah, like, right? And now you can't speak. <laughs> we claim voice, right? right? It's, it, and this is so important for people to know because I can't tell you the amount of people I've talked to over the years who had an experience with a psychic or with a medium who were good people. Yeah. But, but actually they said something that they thought was direct transmission, which was actually interpretation. And then that actually affected the vector of the person's entire life. Yeah. So in some sense, and let's take this the next step because it's so big. The medium, the psychic, the channel is looking to hear the God voice. And we go to the medium, the psychic and channel, because we want to, we think that that's an, a way to access the God voice, but we're responsible to disambiguate the God voice. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge sentence. In other words, we reject the materialist modern culture that says there's no God voice. So the materialist culture says, no, no, there's no God voice. And look at the mistake they made there and look at the mistake. No, no, there is a God voice. Yeah. It's all schizophrenia. It's all schizophrenia. No, no, no. The God voice is real. The God voice is ultimately real and the eye of the spirit and the eye of consciousness and the eye of the heart and the eye of contemplation, which are mm -hmm. disclo epistemological disclosures, real gnosis, it's real. And it goes through a prism of interpretation. Yeah. 
I, I think about my dad and, and one, if he would have had one piece of what we call amongst us, the Dharma and the Dharma is like the unfuckable truth, right? You know, like it's almost like a perennial philosophy, but it's an evolving perennial philosophy. We call it an evolving perennialism. That's a big sense. We'll, we'll, bracket we'll bracket back. It's a big that, one. But it's, but it's something that's like, and one of those is there's, there's certain things that the God voice just won't tell you. At least as far as I understand it. Now, maybe that evolves. and it's. But the God voice isn't going to tell you which way the stock market's going to go, which way the futures market's going to go, which way this is going to happen, who's going to win the next Bulls game or the next right. you know, Jets game or whatever, whatever the thing is. It's not going to tell you that. And when it pretends to, be careful. Be careful. And, and the reason why it can't is because if it did, then it would be denying all of the individual sovereign actors who are making individual sovereign choices that are actually creating and co-creating that reality and allowing this game to actually flourish, allowing this to be real. So if my father would have had that, that would have been, he would have said, well, this voice can't be real because it's trying to tell me things. And there would have been some checks and balances. So yeah, he entered that he entered the the that kind of dangerous part of the garden, but without simple principles of like it would be like entering a war zone without basic principles of combat, entering a jungle without basic principles of poisonous plants and so dangerous is, right. animals. So this he is, like didn't have like the explorer's dark. guide right. to the garden to the dark forest. Right, and this, so this is you know, and and maybe you know, as you know. Our dear friend, David J. Temple, who we haven't yet introduced to people, but who's a, a great writer, is going to be, you know, sharing in the world in about six, eight weeks, right, this first book on evolving parentalism, you know, what we're calling the Dharma. So maybe when that book comes out, you know, we'll talk to David, maybe we'll see yeah. if we can, we can have that conversation about that book. But it's so evolving parentalism, what we mean by that, by the Dharma is huge. But for now, let's just stay with the dark, when we say the Dharma, what we mean is that we live in a story of value that's real. It's not just made up. There's actually a plot line to Cosmos. And that story of value is rooted in what we call, here's the quote, a story of value rooted in evolving first principles and first values, end quote, which is actually a map of reality, but not a fundamentalist map that removes all the uncertainty and says there's no mystery. But actually, as you said really beautifully, I love, I love the phrase, an explorer's guide, mm -hmm. right? In other words, it, it actually allows you to orient yourself to get your bearings, mm -hmm. right, in the field of value. So that's a big conversation, which is huge and gorgeous. And hopefully in six, eight weeks, if we can find David J. Temple, we'll, I'm, I'm excited to announce that he's putting out that book and we'll talk about that. So that's, but let me get back to, to kind of the psychic and, and, and your dad and, and lost in the garden and voices that are real, and our our obligation, we, we, when we were in the the journey, the medicine, we kept hearing the voice, you know, purify, clarify. Mm -hmm. And the two voices I was hearing was purify, clarify, and all in for all life. And we were whispering to each other, purify, clarify, all in for all life. Purify, clarify, all in for all life. It was like a mantra. It was like a mantra, right? And it was just, and we were sitting so close to each other and we just felt those words going back and forth. And so... Can I tell you a story, like a crazy story? Please. It's like a crazy story. This is, this is unimaginable. And we're going to just try trembling before she to lay something down here that's unimaginable. So the most famous story about the God voice 
in Western history. Kierkegaard, the great Christian theologian, wrote a book about it called Fear and Trembling. All the great traditions refer to it, Islam, Christianity, Christendom, and of course, Hebraicism, is the story of Abraham, who's commanded by God in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis to sacrifice his son. This is the father and the son. That's what we're doing this week, is the father and the son. The entire book of Genesis is about the blessing of the father. And when you came downstairs on Saturday night and we were, you were grief stricken and then your grief went into me and I actually didn't know what to say. We were just, we just, we didn't actually have words until yeah. the next morning. And I walked downstairs and we sat on the couch and looked at each other. And the words that came down were blessing of the father. Mm-hmm. And then we just together plunged into the blessing of the father. So now let's honor the, the lineage, the place that it incepted in me is deep in the lineage when you really read the book of Genesis, the source text of Western civilization, it's about the blessing of the father. Adam, two sons, Cain and Abel, who gets the blessing of the father? How do you learn to get the blessing of the father? Noah, three children, Shem, Ham, and Yefet. Who, who knows how to get the blessing of the father? Ibrahim, Abraham, who's the son of Terach. He leaves his father, he has a son, Isaac, Isaac wants the blessing of the father. Isaac's going to have two sons. Who gets the blessing of the father? Jacob has 12 children. Who gets the blessing of the father? The entire story, right, of the book of Genesis is about the blessing of the father. What is the blessing of the father? How is it transmitted? When does the son need to come liberate the blessing from the father? When's the father able to transmit it? It's all about the blessing of the father. That's, and we all yearn for the blessing of the father. Mm -hmm. So Isaac wants the blessing of the father. And his father says, hey, son, let's go on a camping trip. And Isaac says, great. Maybe I'll get the blessing of the father. And there's a donkey and there's a couple of assistants and they go to Mount Maria and they ascend the mountain. And the text begins in chapter 22 and God tested Abraham. And God said to Abraham, this is the text, God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, the son that you love, Isaac, and raise him up there as a sacrifice on one of the mountains, which, I, which I'm going to show you. Abram's like, fuck. God voice, right? And the tradition usually reads this, Maimonides, clear God voice. How can you, prophecies, absolutely clear, says Maimonides, you would never go sacrifice your son if the God voice didn't tell you. And so he, he takes him up the mountain and he lays him out there on the slab of the rock and he raises his hand. It's an incredible text that we read on the new year in the lineage. And he's got a knife in his hand and he's about to slaughter his son. And the voice of the angel says, don't stretch your hand forth against the boy, right? Abraham steps back, he sees a ram, sacrifices the ram instead. That's the story. And the story's always read as the absolute clarity of the God voice. Abram has to sacrifice his son. Kierkegaard, right, speaking for Christianity, says this is the teleological suspension of the ethical in front of the overpowering God voice. That's the old religion. Mm-hmm. And now we got to reread this text. Yeah, This text is Oh my God. And, and I understand the text. Anyone who send a child to war, 
knows I moved to Israel, knowing my children would join the army. An incredibly painful decision. Mm. In that sense, I put them in danger. They both entered special forces in the army and their lives were at risk all the time. So we do sometimes have an ideal and a value for which we're willing to put ourselves and our children at risk. So I, and it's a very painful text. Mm. And the text is obviously not a model, and it, but it becomes the center of the old religion. So I want to share something crazy with you and then turn it back to you and to you and your story and this week. So there's an unimaginably secret hidden text in the Solomon lineage, which says, the text says, in God tested Abraham. So the Zohar, page 120, Aramaic says, the Yetzirah, God is the evil inclination. Zohar says, that God voice wasn't God. He heard it wrong. He couldn't clarify the prism. And the Zohar's words are almost the exact words you use, brother, aspakalaria de lo nahara, who is an unclear prism. Mm-hmm. So actually the test wasn't, will you sacrifice your son and be obedient to God? Right. The test was, will you take responsibility to disambiguate the God voice and realize that voice in your head that's telling you to sacrifice your son, motherfucker, isn't God. Mm-hmm. Right? And so Abraham is liberated when he actually realizes, oh my God, that wasn't the God voice. Yeah. Next, I'm going to go one more step and then it's all yours. So what voice was it? And this, it gets really personal and intimate. And I say this with like mad love and honor and it's, it's, it's a trembling moment. So if you read carefully in the hidden lineage, you come across a story a text that says that Abraham's father takes Abraham to the God King Nimrod and offers Abraham up as a sacrifice. He's thrown into a fiery fire and only emerges by a miracle, but his father goes to sacrifice him. So what is Abraham doing? Freud, repetition compulsion. He's going to do to his son what his father did to him. Yeah. So he thinks it's the God voice. It's actually the voice of the father that lives in his head. Repetition compulsion. And it's Abraham's call as a prophet king to disambiguate the God voice and say, no, no, that's the voice of father I'm not taking with me. I'm going to find my own way to the God voice. And God's telling me not to sacrifice the son. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that arise, but I want to just take it to the personal because there yeah, take was, it to the personal. <clears throat> there's an unfinished loop from, you know, our last uh, series of conversations that we had before, you know, day three and four of the Shiva. And I think it was on day four when we recorded. And mm. it was an opportunity for me to give my father the full forgiveness. Yeah. And this is bringing me right back to that point because... I always believed that my father had a choice, you know, and, and, I, and I, I, I couldn't ever really let that go, that dad, you had a choice. You had a choice to disambiguate from that voice and to understand that that voice was the false voice. That voice was driving you 
away from everything that you love, everything that clearly he loved. His house was filled with all of the games we used to play when I was a kid. I mean, so all the dice, all well, actually only one dice, but all the cards, all the Scrabble, all the Boggle, all everything that was there that was like everything that he really loved. And even cigars. My dad knew that I loved cigars. We told the story of when Uncle Dave, I loved cigars so much, even before I was even allowed to have cigars. Right. <laughs> I loved cigars so much. Uncle Dave, my, my father's brother, got me a theatrical beard so I could go <laughs> into the humidor myself and get cigars. My dad never liked cigars, but he had a box of cigars. Cha. And it was like he, he craved and I was there the whole time, but he couldn't, he couldn't actually make the choice to choose to disambiguate. And that's where I found him and I judged him guilty. And that's why, and that's where it's been difficult for me to forgive. Mm. And now, you know, the story that I can tell now, which offers the forgiveness is only possible after this week of eight days of, of miracles, right. where I can say, Dad, I fucking forgive you. I forgive you because wow. this week happened. Mm. And this mm. week was so special. It was, in many ways, the greatest eight days of my life. The greatest eight days of my life filled with all of every emotion, every pain, every joy, every laughter, every reconnection, new things emerging, this opportunity to offer this as we're doing now, like right. share this, open source it. And so I can ride a story from a different octave and say, Dad, yeah, maybe you did have a choice, but actually maybe there was an even higher force that was riding through you. And that was leading you right to this moment right here where everything is redeemed by this choice and through this choice that we've made to honor you and bring you into your fullness, that everything was perfect, Dad. So I wow. forgive you, Dad. You know, like I, I really, I fully forgive you because mm. we've made the choice to fully redeem, you know? And, and that's, that's what was needed. The whole completion of this week in its, in its perfect fucked upness. And you couldn't do that a week ago, brother. I couldn't do that a week ago. When I asked I you a week that, ago, but to I can do that him? now, and I can do that you with can do clear it now, heart. For real, like, I it. forgive you, Dad. Oh my God, I forgive you. Wow. And 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 you're saying two, two huge things. Three. One is the story of the binding of Isaac the way we're rereading it for world religion says we're radically responsible to disambiguate the God voice. That's part one. But here's part two. And sometimes we can't. Right? And that sometimes we can't that you just spoke, that is the post-tragic. The tragic is when we think we could have done it differently. Mm -hmm. And that's tragic we didn't. But then we have this realization that you just spoke. If I could try and put it into words, every place we've been, we needed to be. Yeah. And you said at the, at the funeral really beautifully, and that was the beginning where you were just, you could feel it shifting in you. Who am I to say that it could have been any different? Yeah. 
I caught myself. Right? And who am I to say, right? And there's this place and, and there's a way that we can feel this in realization. In some sense, anything that's about to happen, we have a choice in. Anything that's about to happen, we, we, have, we have choice of some level. We can disambiguate the God voice. We can choose. But once it's already happened, and death tells us it's past, yeah. then we realize, actually, couldn't have been any different. Paradox. Mm-hmm. Not contradiction. And so you can, wow. <laughs> right? Right? And so, wow, it's like we're totally responsible right? To be Abraham and to disambiguate the God voice and take responsibility for the God voice. And once it's already happened, every place you've been, you needed to be. Yeah. And I could, I could feel, you know, so many of the other mourners there, you know, who are close to my father is his best friend, Craig Dinkle. And, Craig. And so many other people. Another Howard. One of his Howard, another one of his good friends. Like they could see the tragic of like, of like, man, like everything Michael ever wanted was right there before him. He could watch his son and he loved me so fucking much. Yeah. He could have watched his son flourish in the way that I've flourished and, and to feel that and to be right there with me, you know, through this whole process, like heaven was there and they, they saw the tragic. And I think they got a glimpse of the post-tragic through me as they saw me step into the post-tragic of, yeah, you're right. Craig and you're right Howard and it's all that's true and it's all perfect and I can't say that I would have changed it because I can't see with perfect clarity which way would have been better ultimately for the course of destiny my life for humanity for I actually that's still a mystery like the mystery is called a mystery for a reason that's right it's and, hidden. and I'm choosing to believe that there was a mystery that was hidden that was so deep that actually it was fucking perfect. And in there lies the redemption and the lies liberation. The, the liberation and the and full lies, forgiveness. It go, and lies the seed of the new world religion. See, in the old religion, we said there's a mystery and therefore we don't act. There's a mystery and therefore we can just be obedient. There's a mystery, therefore we give up human agency and responsibility. We're saying, no, no, no. In this new world religion that comes out of the deepest lineages, of all the ancients and yet weaves together the best of sciences and evolutionary sciences and all the, the technologies of shamanism, we actually realize anything that's in the future, anything that's from this second on, we are fully fucking responsible. We are on, we are on the court. We are not mm-hmm. in the stands, mm-hmm. right? We hear the God voice, it's our responsibility to disambiguate the God voice, that's the Abraham story and it, it's mine to do. But once it's already happened, we then rest in the mystery. Mm-hmm. Rest of that moment has died. Mm-hmm. And, and then we realize, and the lineage calls this, it's hidden, it's nowhere in the public text, calls it Shrina Ila'a. The higher goddess is the realization that in some ultimate sense, it couldn't be any different than it was. But not as a future position, not a position on the future. It's a position on recovering the past and that moves us to the pre-tragic. I literally watch people walk into your house, Aubrey, all week, and they thought they were coming to visit you in the tragic. Wow, we got to come visit, right? Your father's friends, your friends, yeah. you're right. But all of a sudden they came into the house and they weren't in the pre-tragic. 
but they weren't in the tragic. Something else was happening. It was post-tragic. Mm-hmm. And post-tragic was, this is what was. There's goodness. There's mystery. And we can hold the mystery together. Yeah. It, it's, it's so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, there's the reflex response is, I'm sorry for your loss. It's like what everybody believes that they need to say. And actually Christian, who's in this room, got that that didn't really land right. for me because yes, of course. Right. Of course. Like, I'm sorry for your loss. Like, yes, and right. thank you. Like, thank you for that, for that blessing actually and that act of compassion right. to be thank sorry you, right. for my loss. And also it's only, it's true, but partial. And so actually Christian came to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for your gain. Yeah. Beautiful. And I was like, that's it, my man. Like, that's, that's it. it. That's the story that I'm choosing to ride. And it doesn't, it doesn't negate, doesn't negate that's that right. I'm sorry for your loss, but I'm also grateful for your gain. And both need to be expressed for actually that sentiment for me to actually receive it. Cause I wasn't going to get sucked in back into the tragic when I was finding the post-trade, I, I felt the tragic, believe me, even, even all the way up to the, you know, I had a moment of this. So Vailana's doing her sound healing at the, it was just this unbelievable, you know, sound bowls and voice and channeling, you know, the, the spirit of that one particular moment. Stunning. And I was drawn through actually no intention of mine other than to tell something to the sound guy, which needed to happen to close the ceremony down. And it just occurred to me, but actually he didn't, he already knew and I, I didn't really need to go there. But as I was walking, I saw the table of all of the photos right. that we had put out of framed photos of me and my father and my father in different stages of his life. And I just started weeping like deep, deep, deep tears as I looked through every single photo. And I was feeling the tragedy of, of my father, Michael Philip Marcus, of, of, everything we missed of everything that he missed the tragedy of it all. And then I found one photo of him where it was just his full presence, his smile. And I found it and I just locked onto it and I could feel him there with me now in the perfection of that moment. And I just started to smile and I just said, we did it, dad. We did it, dad. It was right then. I was right when I walked. I I remember exactly. Wow. We did it, dad. We did it, dad. And, and does everyone, just to like share with, with everyone, any place, wherever we are. Ab, you're not saying, we're not saying this new dharma, this new is not saying, as long as your dad was alive, you could not say. It would be a violation to say, dad, we're yours where you need to be. Yeah. You, kept, you, you had to reach out in any way you couldn't and keep hoping. Yeah. And, and if action was impossible, then then you pray or you send, you send just a few months before you send an email reaching, trying to find this. You, you have to do everything you can do as long as it's still in play. Yeah. But then when the moment comes to pass, when death comes, you can either go into the tragic and the bitterness of it, or you can actually, it's not just that you're choosing a better story. There is a better story. It's actually a more accurate story. And the more accurate story is every place you've been, you need it to be. And you can feel it, you can feel it in your body. Yeah. Right. And actually, no, I, I can't actually say it could have been different. And, and until the moment of death, you can't say that. Until it's passed. As long as there's a play to be made, we're on the field. The second there's no play to be made, 
our whole perspective transmutes and transfigures. And I want to, medicine gives you that realization. Mm -hmm. And so does Dharma. Mm -hmm. And it's that's from a logical, only a logical conceptual perspective, that's a contradiction. What do you mean? But from a deeper perspective, that's paradox. And when you live it, you can live. You can feel it. You can live the resolution of the contradiction and, and the acceptance of that paradox. Every place you've been, you need it to be. As Hafiz said, you know, wherever you are right now, God circled that place on a map for you. For you. And, and it, can't, it couldn't be any different. So I want, I want to ask you one more question, love, about, about the blessing of the Father. Mm-hmm. So let's stay with Abraham and Isaac. So we're in, we're in this deep lineage and we're recovering this lineage and from the past and moving it into the memory of the future and we're enacting this new world religion as a context for a diversity coming out of this blessing of the Father. So Isaac is there. Let's move from Abraham. We've been looking at Abraham now. Let's shift the lens. Let's look at Isaac. He's laying there. He sees his father and he sees madness in his father's eyes. So Isaac is the son who sees madness in his father's eyes. And I'm, I'm thinking about you and your father. I'm thinking about my father now. Mm. And I'm thinking about anyone who's ever seen madness in their mother or father's eyes. And that can be just when they lose their temper and there's madness for a moment and you're, it's imprinted on you. And it could be deeper and longer. So there's Isaac. He's, he's laying back. He sees his father holding a knife, metaphorically, mystically, archetypally. And he can't cry. And so the lineage records in a hidden text that in that moment, tears of angels fell in his eyes. Tears of angels fell in his eyes. In Israel, the song Tears of Angels taken from this text is a a major song in the culture of the country. Now, stay with me just for a second, just a little lineage story. So the lineage doesn't tell us about these tears of angels when they happen meaning in chapter 22 of the book of Genesis, when the binding of Isaac's story is told, there's no mention of tears of angels. It's only, and no one needs any background to get this. It's just, you can just, five chapters later, chapter 27, when Isaac is older, Isaac is older, now he's about to have children. Now he has children. He has to choose which son to bless. So it says, Isaac's vision is blurred. He can't see well. So the lineage says, why can't he see well in its hidden text? The lineage says, because the tears of angels fell in his eyes back then. So tears of angels means trauma. Mm. Trauma. So the trauma, which is so painful that he couldn't even cry, so angels cry for him. So those, that trauma, those tears of angels, they blur his eyes and stop him from doing right action in the world. And so here's a, a wild, deep question for you, brother, for me, for you, but for all of us, and through you, for all of us. And it's a question we need to address in, in this new context, this new story of value. Therapy has its answer. When do we need to go back hmm. and cry the tears of angels? Hmm. And when do we need to move on? That's such a huge question. When, when is it critical? God, I need to do that therapy again. I, I need to do that process again. I need to go into the darkness mm-hmm. again. And when do I need to get up and roar mm-hmm. and act 
and be a lion, hmm. right? And, and so the, the text almost suggests as long as you're living your life, you can, Isaac is very successful. He goes through five chapters of success. Tears of Angels trauma doesn't affect him. But then he's got to create a new lineage. He's got to give the blessing of the father. He's got to, he's about to become, right? Imagine you're about to become a father. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all the tears I didn't cry, those tears of angels when they cried for me, do I need to go back and cry them myself in order to clear my vision? Mm-hmm. So how does that feel, brother? Wow. Yeah, I have a, I actually have a very clear answer to that, which is a very complex question and it's yeah. a very beautiful question. The challenge is, is that we don't know when right. we have to cry those tears. We right. just don't always know. Right. And sometimes there's another question of, okay, I know I need to cry the tears. I don't know how to cry how? the tears. But the, actually the, the answer is the same in that you go through a process that will evoke and call forth whatever is left there to be that's, that, has, that hasn't been cried, anything that you haven't expressed. So the processes that I'm thinking of, of course, there are the medicine journeys, which can do that. But there's two non-medicine, I mean, yeah. everything is medicine, right? But non-psychedelic as, as far as a plant or a substance processes, and that's breath work and the sweat lodge or temescal. Mm-hmm. Whenever I do breath work, I am often surprised that there are wells of tears that are there. And sometimes they have a story. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just locked in my soma somewhere and they just emerge as the breath fills my body and the hyperoxygenation takes off my ordinary consciousness of perception, kind of melts the walls where these pockets of trauma and these uncried tears live. And I, they just pour forth. And sometimes they have a story, sometimes they don't. Yeah. And in the, in the lodge, you know, door three, which is, you know, often an hour and a half, two hours in, you've been sweating, you've been praying, you've been, you know, listening to the drum and the smoke and the sweet grass and the sage and the cedar and the copal or whatever your tradition of lodge that you sit in, you'll find something there if it's there. And to me, that's been the way that I've actually known. It's not that my cognitive mind says, I think there's some more tears there because I don't know. But I just put myself in a position where if there are tears, I'll melt away all of the walls that keep me from seeing it, all of the parts of my prism that are obscured. And then whatever needs to come forth will come forth. So having those is like a regular check and balance to the practice where you have something that you can do. And there is, you know, nothing, absolutely no reason why you can't do breath work frequently. I don't care what, you know, AA 12-step program or whatever you want. Nobody says you shouldn't breathe. You know, like nobody says that. And, and And so to me, like breath work becomes one of these crucial practices to bring in like one of the, into this world religion, into these ideas, because it'll allow you to actually find out what's there. And it's not the only one, but it's just like the clearest, no hesitation. I recommend this universally. Do those shamanic breathwork practices 
to see what might be there? Is it rage that's there? Is it tears that's there? What's what's left that's been repressed that needs to be expressed? That's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I, I love every word you said, and, and I, I just want to be in it with you for a second. One of the primary texts of this new world religion is the texts of laughter and silence and tears. And let's focus on tears for a second. Tears are a text. There's a language of tears. Tears have a voice. And what you're saying is that, and there's a deep, deep truth, is you can't just wait for tears to happen to you. You have to actually practice to invite the tears and give them space. Amen. And, and breath work and medicine, but you're focusing on breath work and sweat lodge. Yeah. Are a practice that invites the tears. Yeah. And it's so beautiful and, and so wildly important. It's one of these places again that we meet, you know, so beautiful. You've never talked about this before. No. Right. And it's beautiful. I, 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 I wrote a book um, on tears. It's actually on, on Amazon, although it shouldn't be there because we're going to reissue it because it was badly edited. So if anyone buys it, I apologize for the editing. You know, there'll be another, but it, it's about tears. It's about 12 different forms of tears. And I missed this breathwork sweat lodge thing. So actually mm-hmm. in the new edition, we'll have to, I want to, I want to cite you on that. I didn't, I, I, I didn't have access to that as a practice. That's sure. really beautiful. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Tears clarify us. They do. Right? They do. I mean, tears, one of my masters whispered in my ear from the 16th century. He talks about the, the tears from below, which is the feminine waters, the feminine wetness and the masculine, right, expression of kind of the sticky tears from below. And then he says, then there's the tears from above, which he calls if I translate literally the semen of the eyes, the mm. wetness of the eyes. I mean, it's an incredible Chaim Vital, the major student of Loria, 16th century, and Safed by the Sea of the Galilee. And he says, it's the eros of tears. Mm. And that tears, tears matter so much. Right? So like, when do we go back? This question we started with, when do we go back and cry tears of angels? And so, Aubrey, part of what you're saying is, is you have to have a regular practice to evoke tears. And, and again, it's, it's a wonderful place to meet. I've said to my students all through the years that you have to keep a tears journal. Mm-hmm. Keep a journal of tears and give the tears voice. Mm-hmm. You know, tears is such a beautiful word, right? Tears in English is it, it tears something open, but tears not in a bad way. It opens the space. And often, often until you've cried, you don't actually see that you needed to cry or right. why you were crying. Right. It's like it almost wipes away your lens of perception. It, it clarifies. All of, all of the, yeah, all of the obscurity, all of the obfuscation of and the opacity of your prism actually moves out through the liquid of your eyes. And then you can see clearly and then you go, oh my God, I oh needed my that. God. I needed that. And just like in, this is a wild thing that's gorgeous, just like in sexing, you know, we're working together on this phenomenology of Eros where we chart seven levels of sexing and no, we're not going to talk about that now. There's 12 forms of tears, but that's not just being clever, right? If, if a person just cries, just like medicine, medicine needs Dharma and Dharma needs medicine, tears need Dharma. And so just for example, 
the molecular structure and pattern of tears that come from different experiences are different. Mm. It's like, wow. When you actually look at pictures of the tears, they're literally different. And so each time I cry, it's telling me a story. Tears are a, a prism of revelation, but they're utterly personal. Yeah. That's right? beautiful. It's beautiful. And yeah, like, wow. And I, I don't think there's anything more beautiful than for people to, to cry together. And crying can be ecstatic crying. You can make love mm -hmm. with ecstatic tears. And crying can be broken crying and crying can be crying of liberation. But so at a different time, we're, gonna, we're not going to get seduced there now, but we'll talk more about tears. But tears are so important in a world religion where the text is the text of your own tears. The text lives in you. You are the sacred text and your laughter and your tears and your holy and broken hallelujah is, is the text of your sacred autobiography. Mm -hmm. So let's see if we can go back and see if we can wrap this piece, which is unwrappable and conclude this piece, which is, can't be concluded. So I'm going to ask you the question one more time. We're, gonna, we're just going to go back and forth one more time. Just tell you a little story, not from a text. I'm I was thinking about this, this Tears of Angels text many years ago. And we actually did a show on it, you know, in my kind of Israel television, you know, kind of Oprah stage when we were doing this, this show, which was very beautiful, right? It's a beautiful context. And I, I, I miss the joy of connecting to a country. There's a great joy in it. And you're supposed to be embarrassed by having a joy in it, but actually it was one of the most enjoyable things I ever did. Or you can feel like you can talk to a country. And I think it's very much what you're doing on a podcast, right? The gorgeousness of just feeling this deep connection with people. We get to love each other. So we, we were in that stage and I had just finished giving a talk someplace in Jerusalem about the show we did on Tears of Angels. And I had a Diet Coke in my hand. No, I never drink Diet Coke, but I happened to have mm -hmm. one in my hand. Weird. Right, there we go. And I had um, my, my ring of keys, right, which had you know, my, the keys to my apartment. I didn't drive still then or now because I always get lost in thought and wind up crashing into things, which was bad. Um, so I'm walking with these group of students who are beautiful people and they would always walk me afterwards to the bus and I got my Diet Coke and I got my keys in my hand and we passed one of those big dumps, huge like green dumps filled with garbage and I throw my Diet Coke can and the keys going with it. Oh, now, <laughs> none of the students noticed. So I'm like, okay, fuck. Do I go on and kind of save dignity and humiliation <laughs> and just get another fucking set of keys, right? Or do I go look in this trash dump to find the keys? And all of a sudden I realized, oh, that's the question of tears of angels. And so when do I need to go into the dump and turn it over and look for the keys to my life? Because those are the keys to my house and I yeah. can't get in. And when do I not? And so I kind of, this goes through my mind. I said, okay, it's a sign from, from she, I tell them I lost my keys. They look at me, try and suppress, you know, laughter, knowing that I'm going to have to turn over. So I turn over this dump and I'm looking for these keys. 10 minutes go by, couldn't find them. And then the bus comes. And then this other thought occurs to me. Oh, okay, I've looked. I've done the best I can. When's the time to just stop looking and get on the bus? Mm. Right? And, and I think what you say is very wise, which is, brother, there's no easy formula. Right? Easy formula is kind of old fundamentalisms. It's a deeply personal decision, but you've got to be weighing that. You got to, you got to, you got to be in that conversation with yourself Yeah. because until I feel a feeling through to completion, it will hijack the story of my life. Hmm. 
So tears of angels, right? And so Isaac doesn't get the blessing of the father until he can kind of cry the tears of angels and then he can go and liberate the father. Hmm. And then he can actually find Abraham. That's what happens at the end of his life. Isaac actually finds Abraham. He liberates the father and the father and the son come together and something's transformed. Mm. Well, blessing of the father. Blessing of the father. Blessing of the father. Wow. Let's see if we can go one more step. You up for it? I'm up for it. Up for it. Okay. We're at the memorial service, right? Together. What was it? Two days ago? Mm -hmm. And we're not going to be able to talk about this this way in a week because this is the moment. This is the time. And we talked about this incredible other cornerstone of a world religion, which is confession. But in the old religion, confession was confession of sin. I fucked up. Confess your sin. Now let's get clear. Sin can be a bad form of sin, right? Meaning a pathological form of sin offered by a distorted God voice. You had sex you shouldn't have, right? You self-pleasured you shouldn't have. That's, that's the kind of sin we can do without. We need to leave those voices behind, right? The voices that denied, denied human aliveness. Mm -hmm. Voices that were not all in for all life. That were not all in for all life and that didn't disambiguate the God voice. Yeah. And sin also can mean in the original Hebrew to miss the mark, and so sin can also be, wow, I fucked up. I can recognize I fucked up. Mm -hmm. That's okay. But at the center of the new world religion as a context for our diversity, we need a different kind of confession. And it's what we've talked about deeply before to confess your greatness. Can I confess my greatness? And that's like, that's huge. And actually in the lineage, the place that confession comes online is when the person comes to Jerusalem, they come before the priest shaman and they say, I've done it perfectly, perfectly. And, and the shaman says, you've done it perfectly. He says, I've done it perfectly. And the lineage says, that's confession. <laughs> so confession is the only thing that actually obligates me in the world. The only thing that is my real confession is not, I'm a worm. I confess I'm a worm. What does anyone want from a worm? I confess my greatness. And where do I find my greatness? And, and I'm going to ask you to give me one example of this just to model it for people because it, it's not an easy thing to do. It, take, it takes a kind of holy audacity to do it. So I'm going to put you on the spot in about a second. So get ready. Okay. So to confess my greatness I'm, means... I'm pretty comfortable in the spot. You're, yeah, you're doing okay. You're doing okay. You're doing okay, brother. Oh my God. Right. As you do. I love you, mad. So to confess my greatness is to find the place where I was at my best. Hmm. And there's one lineage master, Abraham Cook, who says it so beautifully. He says, who are you? He says, Amitat Mahuti Mitgale Berig Egadluti. The essence of who I am is revealed in my moment of greatness. And we do the opposite. We freeze frame people in their moment of scandal, their moment of fall, their moment of breakdown. We say, that's who you are. Mm -hmm. But everyone falls. Everyone makes mistakes. But who you are, says the lineage is, who you really are is your moment of greatness. When, when you ran faster than you ever did, you were clearer, you were kinder, you were loving, you were open, you were 
right? Sitra Acha, right? The, the, the darkness, the deadness was gone. You were in your full aliveness. And the word Sitra Acha, just for people who haven't heard it, means the other side. You and I have talked about it a lot. The, when the deadness or aliveness falls away, you're in your full eros and you are just gorgeous. Mm. That's the moment. That's what, that's confession. Mm. So there's this actual practice and we're going to bring this practice right next to sweat lodge mm-hmm. and right next to the Dharma and right next to medicine, the practice of confessing your greatness. And to everyone that I have the privilege of studying with, my one demand is confess your greatness, right? So to brothers, to sisters, so brother, we're like wildly spontaneous, don't know what's happening here, but it's happening now. So Give us a moment and model for people. It's not easy to do because we get this kind of knee-jerk humility, but that's not the God voice. That's the devil voice, if you will. The God voice is divine pride, not arrogance, not ego self, but my unique self in which she moved through me. So give us a moment. Maybe that's a hidden moment, right? That it's like, oh my God, that's who I am, right? Confess your greatness, model for us what to do. And then maybe if I can be crazy audacious, maybe anyone who's listening, can do the same thing mm. and send it, send it to Ab, right? your confession of greatness, right? Confess your greatness in public, right? And inspire these, this ripple effect all through the world, right? Of, of thousands and tens of thousands of people confessing their greatness. And that's, that's the beginning of, of, of the democratization of greatness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm your holy priest. Can you confess your greatness, my son? <laughs> You know, you invited, oh you invited us in the service to yeah. actually everybody find a partner and confess your greatness yeah. to your partner in the service. Yeah. And Vailana and I, you know, I was kind of up in the front. And but I saw you guys front, were together, right? And she came up and, you know, kind of knelt before me and we were confessing and we were confessing our greatness to each other. Cha. And all we could say with tears in our eyes and our hearts so full is our confession of greatness is right now right now, right now, because there was a million voices saying like, oh, I could have done this differently. I had seven different confessions of my father's greatness. And then the seven, and I know you're about to probably get there, the seven ways that that greatness, you know, that I actually could see in my father, his greatness was also a double-edged sword that contained his vulnerability in that. So for an example of that, which was, I was sharing The first one was possibility, the cave room. Everything was possible for my dad. He was able to turn a very small amount of money into a huge fortune. Everything was possible. But in that, his vulnerability was that it was possible that these voices were telling him impossible things. Yeah. And so possibility was both his greatness and his vulnerability. And the greatness in that moment was actually to be able to feel that, yeah, of course I could have said something better. At one point I actually jumbled up the order. I had a whole mnemonic device that I was going to, you know, be able to go in the right order. And I forgot for a second, but I just went on to the next right. one. And I said, saw it in your eyes. I said, I'll trust that I'll get, I'll awesome. be able to get back to this. And I did. Yeah. And so could I have done it better? Well, and on one, on one hand I could have, so maybe this was a moment of the fall. Maybe, man, I should have, I should have practiced that mnemonic device a little bit more, but but no, it was perfect. And in this moment, I was as good as I could possibly be. Right. And that's always enough. That was always enough. And yeah. so my greatness 
was not a past tense or a future tense. It was reifying, making real. The, that moment was me at my very, very, very best. So I, I just, it's so good that I want to just, you know, reflect it back to you. And I, I lived in Marin County for two years. They reflect things back so it, it wore off for just a second, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's, it's so beautiful. So what you're saying is that my confession of greatness was the ability to deflect the voices that said I didn't do it enough and to actually know I just did the absolute best that I can and my best is totally enough and that is greatness. Yeah, amen. That's gorgeous. Amen. That's gorgeous, Yeah. right? And, and that's really what we did at the memorial service. We did confession of greatness as this new practice and you confessed your father's greatness and you confessed your greatness and people turned to each other, as you said, and confessed their greatness. And then we realized that there's a holy and broken hallelujah. And we realized that even though it all went wrong, right, we stand before the Lord of song with nothing in our tongues but hallelujah. And we remember that hallelujah is in the original Hebrew, drunken, broken intoxication of the worst kind, the kind that's not beautiful, the kind that we, we, we can't find ourselves. And it's pristine, gorgeous beauty. Mm -hmm. It's both. It's the holy and the broken hallelujah. And we went to confess vulnerability, mm -hmm. right? And so again, I'm going to, you know, tenderly, and I apologize for the surprise. Of course, it's a, a slightly insincere apology. Mm -hmm. um, but, but like, just for a moment, model for us, what does it mean to confess, brother, sweet love, right? Wondrous man. What does it mean to confess vulnerability? Confess your vulnerability. Confess like, vulnerabilities right now. Right now also right it's like it's right now also because right now you know we spent eight days and i was holding court in in this way and and doing my best in every moment and i was many many times you know filled with this kind of divine roar the roar of dragon heart the lion and the yes the dragon, lion of lion. judah the dragon heart was pouring through me and i was filled with this aliveness and this clarity and you know, here now, I'm tired. Right, we're tired, right? I'm tired. Yeah, I and, feel it. And I've, I've been broken and mended, broken and mended. I've been forged like a Nihonto, like one of those Japanese swords that they put back into the fire because there's another tempering and it goes back to heat and back to folded and back to not sharp at all anymore. <laughs> and, and I'm still in one of these points where I haven't been sharpened back up yet. There's still hammer dings and places where the steel's still molten. And so I'm vulnerable right now. You know, is this, am I going to come out of this and say, that was it, cha, that was Aubrey at his, at his greatness as Dragonheart through the whole process? Like, no. But right. also, it's my best. Right. It's my best. So the vulnerability also is right now and they live. And they're right next to each right other, aren't they? next to each other right? My confession of greatness and my confession of vulnerability. And one of the things that came so clearly this week, and it's, it's right now, the name of God is now, right? You had the future that lives in hey, vav, hey, and the, the eternity of the now. And so as we move towards conclusion here, we're, we're tenderly friends. And I, I think everyone can hear we're in a different place than last week, right? Yeah. You're exhausted. I'm exhausted. Yeah. You know, we're, 
but but we want it. I'm so glad that we're we're getting this time. Yeah, agreed. Because this this window, it's now, and there's a my my friend um the, the previous board chair um to you you know you're you know at the at the center John John Mackey is also local here in Austin. You know John said to me one day in a conversation. He said Mark. And it was one of the most beautiful things he said to me. He said, the moment is so ephemeral, grab it. Hmm. And, it's, and that's true. It's how we started. There's, there's this particular, this moment in time is never going to come again. There's a unique self of a person. There's a unique self of time. Mm-hmm. And part of this unique self of time is, is being exhausted together mm-hmm. and, and collecting these days. And so we've tenderly, and we've said a few times today, we're, we're trembling before she today, but it's a, it's a tender and fierce trembling. And we're introducing these two new core practices that live side by side with prayer and side by side with medicine and side by side with Dharma and side by side with sweat lodge and side by side with breath work. But there's the confession of greatness. And there's actually, I want to say something a little bit fierce now. You cannot be a good human being unless you're willing every day to confess your greatness and confess your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That's the new world. That's the new, right? Confess our greatness. Confess our vulnerability. So maybe I, I want to, on my side, and you'll conclude for us, brother, and if there's mm-hmm. any place else you want to go, but I want to I conclude by reminding us of a miracle. <laughs> so it just, just flashed into my mind, and no one's going to believe this, but we're going to tell them anyways, right? And it's unbelievable. So about five weeks ago, Aubrey and I are deep in this study in what we call Holy of Holies, and we're studying together the tree of life, which is this unimaginable, architonic dharma of the nature of reality, and it applies to politics and to economics and to art and to spirit and to sexuality. It's the tree of life, the nature of reality. And many people understand Leonardo da Vinci's you know, famous man as being an expression of the tree of life. then we walk in and we've never mentioned your father when we did the tree of life. It's five weeks ago. Then it's two weeks later on this, we're again in Holy of Holies and this Mardi Gras festival in the lineage called Purim in which you have to drink wine. And we've drunk quite a bit of wine. And we start talking about six. <laughs> We'd never talked about your father before. And you told me the story of the fourth six. Mm. That's two. Then three, as we're getting off the phone, you say, we need to talk more about my father. When you come to Austin, we'll talk about my father. That's three. Four, we get to Austin, your dad dies. And all we do for eight days is tell stories about your father. Five, we go into your dad's house. Bailana's there in her, right, holding space in, in that beautiful song. And as she's there, you look on the piano and there's a six. On his keyboard, actually. On his keyboard, the place he wanted to play music. Yeah. There's a fourth, the fourth six is there. The six is there. Six. In the major space, the major space in the middle of the open air of the house, there's a counter. There's one book on the counter. And it's this large oversized, dramatic book about wisdom traditions. 
but it, it's, it's huge and it has this huge, it's open to the tree of life mm-hmm. that we had just finished studying that you had no information at all that your dad had access to or was in. He's in the tree of life. Yeah. Then we get to the ceremony. We finish the ceremony and you say to everybody, hey, we just put up this unimaginable statue. Come see it. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's going down. And I said to Keke, it's great they're going down. We're, we, we were exhausted. We'll sit. And then we said, no, no we got to come see it. And then you send a message back. No, you got to come see it. Oh, my God. Telepathically send Telepathically a you send a message. I felt like, oh, no, we got to come see it. Right? We come down. And in this unimaginable architecture, which has dragons all around it. Now, I'm just reminding everyone of something that you don't know. So I don't know why I'm reminding you. I'm just sharing. 20 years before I met Aubrey, I wrote a book called The Way of the Dragon. Aubrey knew nothing about. Aubrey enters deep into this world of dragon and dragon heart central to your lineage. But then without you asking, this person you had empowered to do whatever they wanted. Daniel Popper. Daniel Popper. It's all dragons. But then on the inside of this kind of august, unimaginable, I don't know what to call it. It's not a sculpture. It's so much bigger than a sculpture. It's this entire artifact, this entire, mm-hmm. what's a word for it? Installation. I don't know a yeah, word for it. I don't know. It, it doesn't even have a word. It doesn't have a word. So on the inside of it, he had put, without asking you, he had put, knowing that you were, right, he had put four times this elaborate, huge tree of life. Yeah. And we think she doesn't speak anymore. She speaks. Yeah. She whispers. Yeah. So just in, in mad gratitude for her whisper. Yeah. In mad humility. Yeah. Take yeah. The, uh, you know, this, so the, the sculpture monument that we're talking about was, it was a moment where I was feeling what moved through my father, which was possibility. And I saw one of the great living artists of our time who makes these monuments, these sculptures, his name's Daniel Popper. And I was so moved by his work. It's like, I, I want one of these on our sacred land in Lockhart, mm. you know, at the Gardeners of Eden farm. And <clears throat> I, in honor of my teacher who passed, Don Howard, mm. I wanted the inspiration to be the Estella Ramundi. Now the Estella Ramundi is a flat relief for it's like 3000 years old from the medicine culture of Chavin. Mm. And in the medicine culture of Chavin, it has a smiling jaguar holding two stalks of Wachuma, which is the San Pedro cactus. And his face is the face of a jaguar, but it's smiling subtly because the jaguar is a symbol of that fearlessness. And in fearlessness, Mm. there's nothing to do but smile. And he's holding the Wachuma stalks, which is opening his heart to his own fullness. And for them, it it was jaguar, it wasn't dragon. But Daniel Popper, he, he kind of feels me and he was making this installation on my land. And so all we had talked about was a four, like a three-dimensional, four-sided Estella Ramundi in 3D. And I saw some early models of it and it was really kind of very close to what actually the Chavin, you know, artifact was, the Estella Ramundi. And, uh, and then it was like, all right, well, there should, there's going to be something that's going to hold the pieces together, the four different statues that are linked together, that are mirrors of each other. And he knew that I was studying the wisdom of Solomon and, and, and he said, all right, well, we'll put a star of David at the top. And that's where we left it. And he said, 
And then through, you know, a few whispers, I have some surprises and I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave it at that. I want you to be wowed by this. Like, as long as you trust me. And I was like, of course I trust you. You're one of the greatest artists I've ever seen. So I trust you. And that was another one of the seven confessions of my father's greatness was trust. I trusted him. And so he didn't, I didn't need to micromanage this thing, you know, and we walked down there and he'd added you know, 14 dragons on each side of the Estella Ramundi. And I was like, holy shit. And then on the inside, he had put the Sphero, the tree of life. The tree of life. And there was no Star of David. And because we haven't even gone into the Star of David right. teachings yet. Well, we, we actually, you actually, you actually brought this inquiry about the Star of David. And, and just to see, this is how the universe whispers, we didn't go there. He doesn't know any of this, right? He's completely no. unaware that this is happening. We don't go to the Star of David. We go instead to the tree of life and to the dragon teachings. He doesn't know this is happening. We're exchanging dragons, as it were. We're deep in the tree of life without any communication. And he's creating this art expression of reality, which is dragons, the tree of life, that he finishes. Let me just add number 10, whatever it is. He finishes literally, it's unveiled and finished the day of your father's (laughs) ceremony. Right? Right? Yeah. It's unimaginable. It's unimaginable. So, and this is the, part of the tragic is when we think that in the old days, there was prophecy. In the old days, she spoke. In the old days, she revealed herself. And today, she's hidden. No, 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 no. She's speaking. She's whispering. She, I mean, it, it was... <laughs> It was so beyond a whisper at that point. Right. You know, it was like, it was a broadcast. It's a broadcast, but only if you're listening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it was only possible because he was listening. Because he was listening. And, and we were and we were listening and every, and all of us had our ears and, and our hearts right. connected to the same field. And the field is fucking real. And the field is fucking real. And when, and when we're listening, the whisper becomes a roar. Yeah. Let the lion roar, brother. So to to wrap this up, I just want to speak to that and say, even when it doesn't look like it, even when you can't feel it, you can't hear it, you can't find it, like she's there. And she being Shekinah, she being any great spirit, whatever word you want to use, and again, we'll open that up at another time whatever you want to use for that divine intelligence that animates all of cosmos, she's there. And we find it in little ways and we may want to dismiss it because it doesn't fit with our story of reality, but she's there. And also there's the other voice that's there, the Sitra Akra, the voice of confusion, the Mm, voice of distortion. Sitra Akra. Like that's there too. And... Mm. To know that both of those forces are always there. They're always present. And if oh we gosh. actually can purify, clarify, we'll be able to disambiguate those voices. We'll be able to then receive the blessings that she just wants to pour into our life. And I just feel so grateful that I was there to receive the blessings, to withstand the challenges. Yeah. And we didn't even go into that. And I don't want to go into that Not this today. podcast. Not today. Not today. But there were many challenges from Sitra Akra. Yeah. And Sitra Akra was also, I will just say one thing, was also very clear. The whisper of Sitra Akra was also aurora at times where there was 
and impossible, impossible things would happen. Lights that would flicker off and on and, you know, pots that were burning and, and wild things that were happening, you know, Bluetooths being hijacked by strange, confused voices, like crazy shit. And also the overriding current was that she was with us the whole time, all the way, and that she's never left us. And if I look back and tell the story of my life and tell the story of my father's life, I can tell the story that she never left us. She never abandoned us. Yeah. Not for a moment. Amen. Let's. Amen. 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 Yeah. Thank you all for being on this journey with me and my brother, Mark, and, and everybody who's been a part of this. Thank you to everyone who supported me and my team and everybody here. We've all worked an impossible amount and given and really bled and sweat and cried. And, um, and thank you to everybody for being there with me and, and deepest, deepest bow. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here with me in this journey, brother. Quiet joy together. Yeah. Quiet joy together, brother. Love, man. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Mark Gaffney and I, and I hope you guys can take a lot from this. I received a lot of comments from people who are at the ceremony, and it really helped show a new way, a new way to handle this very challenging and powerful opportunity that we have when someone we love passes. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there with me through the whole process. I hope you guys got a lot out of this podcast series. We love you and we'll see you next week.